When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board-certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. So what is this a podcast of? Well, what are the buzzwords? Wellness, happiness, great stories. And you know, sometimes we do have some stars on the podcast. And today is one of those special moments. So let me like kind of jump back in my time machine and say, when I was growing up, you know, what was the hip music around my, my college era? It's something called ska music, and maybe my guests might talk about that a little bit. But kind of like in my scene, kind of like those cool kids, they love ska music. And one of the bands that I kind of followed when I was growing up was called Save Ferris. And I'm not joking. We actually have the lead singer of Save Ferris, Monique Powell, on my podcast today. How cool is that? So before I just, you know, throw the mic over you know, my fans, you know how we do things. We got to read the bio first, and then we're going to go meet our guests. So Monique, Los Angeles born and Orange County, California educated, was classically trained from the age of 11 with a passion for punk at the age of nine. Monique's first love was ballet. We'll talk about that. And then Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, for those who don't know, Hungry Like the Wolf. Her name is Rio. <laughs> then David Bowie. And then all of Devo, but hearing her first specials record at 13, Monique knew she'd be in a band one day. At 19, after singing in an all-girl ska band and a Zappa-inspired experiment called Larry, Monique found herself singing in an Orange County ska band called Say Ferris. Little did she know that she was living smack in the middle of a musical phenomenon. Say Ferris was to ride what soon would be called the third wave of ska. Within months, Save Ferris was signed to Sony Epic Records and spent the following years touring the world. In 2013, Monique acquired full ownership of the band name. Under her leadership, Monique has been riding higher than 
ever. Shimmying, burlesquing, whatever that means, <laughs> and belting her way from stage to stage and country to country, spreading her gospel. And I put this in bold to say it, you know, with oomph, scan now more than ever. Single-handedly making millions smile as she does, her life goal is to help and to heal. Why is she so perfect for my podcast? Monique is a survivor of many things. And if you want to know more, I mean, you could just ask her or listen to this podcast. Her life is an open book. And with that being said, Monique, thank you for being on my podcast today. Hey, it's great to be here. Of course, I'll let you know it's always nice when like you see someone on the stage from many years ago and I, I'm looking <laughs> at you. <laughs> I know it was young, but how and when did you start getting into music? And was it because maybe your parents were musicians? How did that happen? My parents were not musicians, um, but my dad loved to sing. And I sort of, I had to retire from ballet at the age of 11. And that's when I thought, oh, give singing my hand, give, give, wait, what do you say? (laughs) (laughs) Sing it a try. (laughs) Now, why did you have to retire from ballet? It doesn't seem like 11 is people are starting ballet. Like, was it not your thing? You didn't like wearing the tights and doing the stuff? Oh, I loved ballet. I was a ballerina starting at the age of two and I loved it. But what happened was um, I think I grew faster than my ankles could, my ankle muscles could. Okay. So I had sprained ankles all the time. And then my heart was broken when my ballet teacher said that I couldn't be on point anymore, which was like every little girl dreams of having point shoes and being on point. Yeah. for a couple of years at that point. So, I mean, with the early retirement of the ballet and you being in the music scene, what about instruments? Like, I love your voice. I've seen you totally rock the mic. Do you play anything? And the cowbell doesn't count. <laughs> well, uh, I play I play a lot of things, but not none very well, just my voice. I mean, I had to study piano for my major and I played some guitar and some bass (laughs) and a little drums and some keys and all that, but none of it very well. During your concerts for Safe Ferris, do you ever grab the bass and kind of do a little bit there or do you just stick to the mic? (laughs) I I like to stick to the mic, although I I could probably prefer picking up the guitar. I'm a little bit better at guitar than bass. (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that got me kind of excited when I was reading about you is that we love the same music. So I am an 80s music junkie. So I love that your bio said Duran Duran. And I wanted to let you know my first record, that's how old I am, was <laughs> Seven and the Ragged Tiger. So oh, <laughs> what is one of your favorite Duran Duran songs? And uh, what other 80s bands did you like besides Duran Duran? So when I was younger, obviously it was the hits. It was, her name is Rio and all that. Um, But now (laughs) as an adult, there is a song of theirs that I really like. And I find it very elevated musically. It's a song that I play all the time when I, when I DJ. That's thing. I really enjoy DJing. I do that a lot. I didn't see that on the resume. I didn't know you're also a DJ. I wouldn't call myself a DJ. I feel like if you don't know how to spin a record, yeah. you probably shouldn't call yourself a DJ. <laughs> I like to play music at parties and I make really great playlists and I know how to put all the music together by 
key and tempo and all of that. But I wouldn't say I was a DJ. So Monique, when you were young, since we're, me and you are about the same age, did you make little mixtapes and had your Monique mixtape growing up for some of oh our kids? <laughs> yes, of course. Of course I did. I, I mean, I still have like all of my sister's original cassette tapes. I even have some of my sister's like original eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you play it? Where do you play it? That's hilarious. You're going to think this is crazy, mm-hmm. but... My parents have an eight track player that still works. No, they don't. I swear. That's and my so cool. pistols, never mind the bullets, is stuck in it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can listen to on there, but at least it still works. Yeah. So, so let me ask you the, the, the transition question because, you know, I could talk 80s all day with you and Duran Duran, but uh, they're not ska music. So no. My question to you, and this is kind of a two-parter, is kind of like, um, can you explain to my listeners what ska music is? I'd love to hear how you explain it. And how did you go into ska from like, her name is Rio? I don't understand the transition. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I was listening to whatever my sister was listening to. She's 11 years older than me. I I talk about her a lot. She's my favorite person on the planet. I just love her. And yeah, like she was listening to K-Rock in the 80s and was like whatever was coming up and on Rodney on the Rock and (laughs) Rodney (laughs) and Rodney would play all these British bands, you know, and so, um, you know, Duran Duran, they're Brits. Yep. Evo is not. They're from Ohio. Uh, (laughs) But but they're super cool and K-Rock played them too. and. Kind of made their careers as say Ferris's career. Uh, Rodney made our career, and so did K Rock. So yeah, so then the specials came out. All this second wave of ska, which was in the eighties, is the specials, the selector madness, uh, madness. <laughs> yeah. So you remember, yeah, I just love them, and also with the creation of MTV soon. Thereafter, Dexie's Midnight Runners Come On Eileen was one of the first videos, music videos I ever saw. And I was like obsessed with the fashion and everything (laughs) because they were wearing like overalls, like jean overalls with just a little bra underneath, you know? And I was like, oh, that's so daring. (laughs) But I love them. Yeah. How does Monique describe ska music? Well, the way I would describe it um, is the way that it was described to me and that is music played on the upbeat with horns or sometimes keyboards rather than horns but for the most part horns and obviously with every wave of ska there's something new that happens with our wave we sped it up and sort of ran hand in hand with the pop punk scene um so that was a big part of what we did yeah, so so on the upbeat, so meaning on the two and the four. So were you kind of like in the high school band back then? And what was the plan? It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to graduate and uh, join Make Safe Ferris. How did you make that transition? What was the plan around that time? When I first decided I wanted to sing, I, I tried out for um, the talent show in like the fifth grade or something or the fourth grade, <laughs> something like that. Okay. And... My teacher at the time was this really phenomenal lady who went on to teach at my elementary school for many, many years and put on a talent show every single year that she worked there. And 
basically like just out of the love of it, you know, like that wasn't a part of her job description in the beginning. So she would put on these amazing talent shows and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to audition to sing in this one. So I was always dancing and all the other ones. So, and badly at that. <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try out. And I sang that song from an American tale that's somewhere out there song. Oh, the I know. And I really, I was so nervous and I thought I really knew what I was doing. And I got one line. I got to sing one line (laughs) in the finale and I'll never forget it. Cause at the end of the show, my, I heard my parents talking to her and I literally sang one line solo in the whole show. (laughs) I hear hear my parents talking to her. Her name is Judy Easterly and she's my friend on Facebook and I love her and, and she's so supportive. But my parents were talking to her and I overheard them say, so do you think she has what it takes? <laughs> you put her on the spot. Wow. <laughs> that one line, I just. <laughs> I heard it. And then my sister, I recently found out it was my sister. My sister was a high fashion model overseas for a number of years. And she was living overseas and decided to be my benefactor and paid for me to take voice lessons. I was already taking voice lessons and the voice teacher that I had, I loved so much and, and we were doing pop songs and stuff. But then one day she was like, do you want to hear what I do? And I was like, of course. And she gave me a cassette tape (laughs) on that cassette tape. That was like her demo. And it was her singing these, you know, operatic standards, like, Un bel di and O mio babino caro and like stuff like that. And mm-hmm. she's an opera singer and I didn't even know. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. I fell in love with it. And so from there, that's when I started studying opera. Even from a young age, I was already studying operatically, but but I was in choir at school. And I know, <laughs> and I went to Pacifica for like two years in mm-hmm. Garden Grove. And then I found out that there was a performing arts school that was pretty much a publicly run school. I mean, it's not like we were rich, so I wouldn't be able to go to a private school or anything like that. And I thought, I'm just going to audition. So I did, and I got in. They didn't have a classical department, but they had a musical theater department. And they did Sondheim, which is basically light opera. And so I was like, I'm doing it. And so that's pretty much when I found myself and my people and my scene. And I was in choir there too, but also in the uh, arts program and doing all the other stuff, doing incredible musicals. And yeah, so then I went to Cal State Fullerton. And when I was in Cal State Fullerton was kind of when all my friends were getting into bands and I was started to go to shows and because I was living on campus, I was living away from home. So I was just like partying. I was like going to queer shows and like going to like every punk show that came through descendants and adolescents and I, you name it, I was there and yeah. And all my friends were getting into these ska bands and I was like, that's not ska. Cause it didn't sound like the specials. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to interject, you know, the specials, yeah. my favorite song of all time, and it could make the top 10 is, Pressure Drop. I love that song so oh, much. So and it's so such good. a happy song. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Neville, the, one of the, the singer from the specials, one of them, yep. uh, Neville Staple was on my 
last EP with me. We did oh, a song cool. together. Yeah, and I I just moved back here from England. I was living in England for oh, a while. Okay, I have in Birmingham, which isn't far from Coventry, which is where Neville is from, and also the selector is also from there. And I I would hang out with Neville. I'd go to his house and hang out with him. And sometimes I, I would just be sitting in his house, and he'd be just singing special songs, and yeah. I have to pinch myself a little. And you'd see this photo on the wall of like. <laughs> him and Pauline Black from The Selector and from like the 70s. You see it on the wall and you're like, pinch, you know? (laughs) Pinch, pinch. So it was really cool. I So I got into an all-girls ska band, but it was very traditional first wave ska, which was like covers of My Boy Lollipop and very, that the influence on that music in Jamaica was American pop music from the 50s okay like bob marley was his first band was supposedly a ska band that's what i've heard before he was bob marley making reggae so ska is the predecessor to reggae and reggae is also playing on the upbeat yeah a little stonier (laughs) dance hall music is very much um ska ish and all that so yeah so i was in that all-girl ska band and we were adorable and i (laughs) I don't know. Somehow my, my world sort of collided with all my friends from high school and they were all getting into bands and then we'd introduce each other to each other. And then one day my friends were just like, you need to come and sing in our band, Larry. And I was like, (laughs) Larry. And I love Frank Zappa. And they were like, we love Frank Zappa too. You need to be in our band. So I was sort of a secondary singer in that band. And it was very fun. The guitar player, Cliff Berrickman, went on to become one of the founding members of Finding Bigfoot, the television show. Really? Yeah. He's one of like the foremost researchers of Bigfoot phenomenon in the country. That is nuts. I, I didn't even see that coming. <laughs> you just threw that curveball. <laughs> so random. But it was still like, like when you heard, I heard him on the Art Bell show, I just about fainted. My- yeah. Like that, like late night Art mm-hmm. Bell, all like the UFO people and stuff calling in. It was, mm-hmm. and Cliff was literally a guest on the show. It was the coolest mm-hmm. thing I've ever heard. So, anyway, yep. so that's basically the story. You know, that's how I got into it. Well, let me ask you the obvious question everyone wants to know Does everyone in your band love John Hughes films? And is Ferris Bueller's Day Off their favorite film? Is that part of the prerequisite to be part of the band? <laughs> The first incarnation of the band, yes, we all loved John Hughes films. Okay. The band has been through a lot of uh, personnel changes since 95. Basically, I'm the only original member left. <laughs> Which is fine, you know, because uh, we're still making people happy. And that's really what matters. But yes, John Hughes films all day, <laughs> all the time, always. And for those who don't understand why I said this, my peeps, because Save Ferris from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, just want to throw that out there. But I want to ask you this question, too. So you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but your big coming out hit was obviously Come On Eileen. There is a lot of 80s bands back then. Why Dexy's Midnight Runners? Why not Flock of Seagulls? Why not <laughs> Tarzan Boy from Baltimore? Why this one? Well, that's a great question. And when I was a little kid, I just remember one of the first music videos that I saw on MTV was 
for Come On Eileen. And I was like obsessed. It was the happiest song I'd ever heard. And everybody in the video was so cute and stylish. And I just wanted to be them. (laughs) (laughs) Coincidentally. Yeah. I believe Dexys is also from Birmingham where I was living. No way. I mean, I would have known. I would have known. Like, why, how, why Birmingham, Monique? And, <laughs> oh, of course, it's because Dexys was from here. I assume the Ska family in Orange County is not that big. So you and, you know, Safe Ferris, when I saw them back in the late 90s, was my thing. There were two other bands I just was gaga for. So I want to know if you ever got a chance to perform with them. One band's called Dancehall Crashers, and you, they're just super awesome. Another band was called No Doubt before Tragic Kingdom. I used to follow good old Gwen around because I thought she was amazing. Have you ever met these bands? Are you guys part of the Ska family together? Well, Dancehall Crashers was definitely an early influence for me. I love them. And every once in a while, I'll see Karina around. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And last I checked, she was touring with a punk band called No Effects. No kidding. I didn't think she did that kind of music. I know No Effects are very hardcore. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Some years ago, I was in San Francisco at Fat Mike studio and, and she was there and she was kind of music directing for some projects that he had. And it was super cool. to yeah. see her. So that's Karina. She's still making music and wonderful at that. And then no doubt. Yeah. Uh, so Gwen had Save Ferris opening for her. So we opened the last weekend of Irvine Meadows Good. before Closed down. Okay. So okay. Me, us, and Gwen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shut down Irvine Meadows, which coincidentally was where I saw my first concert, which coincidentally was Duran Duran. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, but you know, we're talking music, 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 but I do know you've been in a movie and you always, it's somehow you pick these iconic movies that people grew up with like me. So how was it being in 10 things I hate about you? Did you like being your cameo in there? Was it nerve wracking being in there? <laughs> it was okay. So it was nerve wracking only because, Oh my God, here we go. Full circle again. Um, <laughs> so I believe that was the Vans warp tour that we were on with the specials. <laughs> I love how it comes together. <laughs> <Is> that crazy? <laughs> yeah. What, was that like 96 97 something yeah, like that around there yeah so we flew to seattle on a day off to film that prom scene and i just remember like it being a very long day and i was annoyed by the fact that people were having to dance without any music have you ever <laughs> it's so bad how dare you yeah that to people <laughs> just make extras dance around and like there's no, but there's no rhythm for I know. Them. Oh. For our part where we were doing our song, I was able, to, I think I may have had an earpiece in or something. Um, and so I could hear a little bit of what I was supposed to be mouthing to, but, but the whole thing was weird. But it was also very cool because I knew that we were on the precipice of something really cool. And Heath Ledger, who yeah. since- he was sort of a new up and coming guy and such a tragic, sad end yeah. Yeah. to such a story that was supposed to be a really, really beautiful and long and lengthy one. But yeah. that was like maybe his first American film. So it was yeah. kind of cool to be on that with him. And 
you're kind of in one of those movies that people do remember. And I remember that scene in the Thank museum. Thank you. I, I mean, you'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Like, we'll be playing in Southeast Asia. Yeah. And I'll be meeting kids and they don't really speak English, but they can say 10 things I hate about you. Like, they can literally say it like an American. 10 <laughs> things I hate about you. I was like, I'll be like, what? <laughs> That's why you're here because you saw us in that movie. Rad. <laughs> I think that the, when they made that film, they were kind of hoping that this director would be maybe the new John Hughes or yeah. maybe John Hughes was a huge inspiration for the film and the name of the band, Save Ferris, yeah. you know, all of it sort of exactly. tied together. So that's what I think. It's just my theory. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I won't quote you, but I will ask you this one. <laughs> this one I wanted to ask you. So I was looking at your timeline and there's a huge gap before the album after that. You know what I mean? And for those who don't know, your fall album was Checkered Past. So mm-hmm. my question to you is why such a long wait? And one of my favorite bands of all time is Oingo Boingo. Uh, and I read that your buddy buddy with John Avila, who is one of the coolest bassists in the whole world, how did that happen? And why is it such a big gap in making albums? All right. So first question, the big gap. The band changed personnel. I kind of like hired some new players and kept going for a little bit and then stopped I was having some really severe spinal issues, actually. Oh. It very difficult for me, you know, and I only had health insurance for a short time. And also, I was battling depression really, really bad. Which, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have struggled with depression most of my life, major depressive disorder. I'm not surprised, but you know, when you you make so many people happy, you have the most beautiful smile in the whole world. It's so hard yeah, to, to think about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's uh, it's hard. You know, trying yeah. to understand where it all comes from. It, it, you know, like are my spinal or my cervical spine issues and my lower back issues? Is the pain stuff related to that? I doubt it. I I remember being small and 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 having a difficult time. Like I was born with a happy demeanor, just happy-go-lucky. And when you're born with that and you're not feeling 100%, you feel it hard, you know, because being happy is so important to me. And so when I can't be, I I really feel the loss. So there was about a 10-year gap and then I brought the band back and had I had my neck reconstructed from the back at a four level posterior cervical laminoplasty without fusion there was fusion but they just didn't anyway I had what's called the bat the basket and they sort of pulled everything off the spine so I have some spinal cord damage right up here and so I don't know if you read about this or not but like when I got married I got health insurance I got really good health insurance okay and at that point, I went, oh, well, maybe let's get some imaging done of my back and my neck. Yeah. For years, I've had issues with that. Yeah. And, you know, literally, I'd be like flat on my back for three days hmm. and wouldn't be able to move. Like I had had some really bad things happen Yeah. with that. But it, it just become a part of my life. It had been going on for a very long time. Wow. Really, like since I was maybe 17 or something. And it's because you're so young and maybe I'm being a little nosy, but because my wife, who you met, is a rheumatologist, bone yeah. pain, back pain, neck pain, 
When I hear buzzwords, woman, young, cervical spine, was there an overlying diagnosis or was it from you hopping around on stage too much or did they give you some kind of diagnosis or are they just kind of fixing the spine? You know what I mean? So it was major cervical stenosis, but it was, I, I can't remember exactly the language, but there was calcification wow. and the pointed calcifications had embedded into my mm. spinal column, my spinal yeah. cord, yeah, cervical spinal cord. And uh, they had been there for a very long time. Wow. So after I got this imaging done, yeah, yeah. it was so right. weird. Yeah. It was like, so I went to Cedars spine center. I saw this doctor who was super cool, but I was sitting on the bed on the medical bench or whatever. And he comes in, he pulls up my imaging and he goes, uh, your name's Monique Powell. Yeah. 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 He goes, hold on one second. Nurse calls the nurse and nurse. I need Monique Powell's imaging. She goes, that is Monique Powell's imaging. And he's looking at my, my, my neck and he goes, wait, 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 this is, this is her, Monique, how old are you? And at the time I was like 33 or something. And he goes, 33. Hmm? He goes, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a singer. And he just sort of put his hands down and turned toward me. And he goes, we need to talk. That I thought that that was the MRI of an 85 year old woman. Oh my God. And I thought he was talking about my lower back. I didn't realize he was talking about my back. <laughs> Jesus. No, I was like, oh, okay, so do I have a slip disc in my lower back or something? He goes, no, no, no. We're going to talk about that later. We need to talk about your neck right now. Wow. And, um, so what he was saying was at the time, it wasn't common for them to do this surgery from the back, yeah. particularly not on someone who was younger because of the like residual sort of wear and tear yeah. above and below the um, screws and things that they were putting in the net. Yeah. Yeah. Final cord. And he said, you need to get some other opinions. Don't let me be the only one because for this surgery, we go through the front. It will be a three level or a four level. Sure. And you will, you may never sing again, but, and I, that that would give me a little depression right there. That's pretty (laughs) messed up. Well, I, I have, the permanent like hyperreflexia on my knees and stuff and the neuropathy. So I was already having trouble walking yeah. my right side at that point. I just thought I was clumsy. But then when they were like doing the little walking test, I'm all, whoa, I'm not drunk. I swear. I'm not laughing. They're not laughing. I was like, we, I thought it was a joke. Like I thought, Oh, there's no way. Like I'm going to have a surgery and I'll never see again. That's never going to happen. And I asked my sister to come with me to my third appointment. And I remember afterwards her and I just sitting in the car and and it was real quiet. And we just looked at each other like, oh my goodness, this is getting real. So after getting all of these other opinions, I went back to my first doctor, Dr. Hyun Bae at Cedars. He got a group of nice people together that were experts in their field, neurologists and orthopedic surgeons and da, 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 lots of all of that. And, you know, like we didn't know after the surgery, if I was going to be able to walk because the nature of like what was going on with the spinal cord and all of that. And I could, still sing. yeah, I could sing. So I was like, I'm bringing the band back at that point. I'm bringing the band back. <laughs> and, that, and I'm so glad you did. And, and, and I want to make sure I just touch a little base on it. No pun intended. Uh, 
Basis, uh, Oingo Boingo, how I mean I'm going to their Halloween show this year. Danny Elfman's coming back and it's at the what Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, me and my wife are going. I'm super pumped because Boingo hasn't reunited in a while. Yeah. I mean, if you want to come, I'll invite you with my wife and all and bring some friends. But how did you meet the basis of Oingo Boingo and how did they what part were they in getting your your album, you know, checkered past out? Here is where things come around full circle again. <laughs> so I'm like, I brought the band back. Now I need to do mm-hmm. the album. And I decided to do a five-song EP because that was what we did with the f- very, very, very first Safe Ferris. Introducing Safe uh, Ferris. That's correct. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, who's going to want to work with me on this? Holy crap. So I called my friend, Scott Barrett. I'm like, dude, do you know of any producers that would want to work with Say Ferris right now? Mm-hmm. And he was like, call John. I was like, who? John Avila. What? <laughs> do you have his phone number? <laughs> yeah. So here we go. When I was 18 years old, the first album I sang on was Real Big Fishes, Turn the Radio Off. Oh, the hit. He has a girlfriend hit. now. Yeah. John Avila produced that record. Oh, no way. Yes. So I called John and I was like, John, it's Monique from Safe Ferris. I don't know if you remember me. You probably don't. He goes, oh, I absolutely remember you. And I was like, you're hired. (laughs) He is so, he is literally one of the nicest people you'll ever meet and encouraging and warm and just so lovely to work with and treats everybody beautifully and his daughter his whole family like all his kids are musical um and his daughter uh is just has this beautiful voice and sang most of the harmonies on the ep and so it was like a family affair i love it now i want to make sure i get a couple other questions there because i told some of my fans who listen to my podcast i'm gonna be interviewing Mm -hmm. you and you still got a lot of people that love you so two questions my peeps want to ask you number one uh what is your favorite concert moment? Do you have a favorite moment when you do your concerts that always stick out in your mind? It's that part like in the middle of the show where we're playing I Know and there's this musical interlude in the middle. When I first brought Safe Ferris back, there was a band that I had put together, um, Patrick Ferguson, who came up with the saying, Ska Now More Than Ever. And Gordon Bash and Joe Barry and Brandon Dickert. And they were instrumental in creating the show that we have now. And there's this really dynamic part in the middle where just it feels like everything comes together perfectly. And then right at that point, everything stops and I drop my dress. What? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that go. That's the term burlesque. Oh, hey, you brought it all together. <laughs> you brought it all together. <laughs> and there are clothes on underneath. Oh, just so Okay. Good. Here, Here's another one from uh, one of your fans. I wanted to ask you when you do perform, uh, what song pumps you up the most when you perform it on stage? And I wanted to ask you, I'm going to throw my two cents in there. My mm. favorite song from Save Ferris, and I hope you this is your answer, uh, is The World is New. Is that your favorite song that pumps you up? I mean, or what is it? <laughs> no. I, I do, oh, no. Everybody loves it. And I really <laughs> loves it. And we open with it a lot. Okay. Because I really love it. Uh-huh. That's a good question. I, I mean, 
we were covering a Dead Kennedys song, and that was because okay. it's like Gordon Bash did this like arrangement of this like ska version of this. It's really good. It's but it's still punk and hardcore, pretty hardcore, and I really like it. I like doing I know. I like doing lies because I really get to sing. What about under twenty one? That song, I hate doing. What? <laughs> it feels wrong that a 47-year-old woman is singing under 21. And I have to stand over it, and they're like, but people request it, and they love it. They need to do it for them. I'm like, but I'm lying to them. <laughs> lying. So that's a difficult one for me. Okay. Spam, the song Spam. Yeah. <laughs> they love that one. You know, with all these being said, you know, um, where are you now? Meaning that, uh, what are your goals for Monique? What are your goals for Safe Ferris? What do you What do you think about in the future now? What do you want to accomplish? You know, right before COVID happened, I was in negotiations for a Las Vegas residency, but it was a concept that I had come up with that is not like it's for our people. You know, it's not for the Celine Dion ilk. You know. Or the yes. Adele, although they are fantastic, Adele and Celine. Yes. I mean, but when I go to punk rock bowling in Vegas every year, like <laughs> when we go to Vegas the rest of the year, which shows are we going to see? There's nothing for us there. Yeah. So I had been writing a show kind of tightly based around the character that I created in Say Ferris. So I'm going back to working on that again. Okay. Yeah, everything in Vegas changed over COVID. And so we're back to kind of back to square one a little bit. So I'm doing that. I'm also working um, on some endorsement deals and some marketing plans for some partnerships with some companies that I can't talk about yet. Well, what about the album? Is there going to be another Say Ferris album? That's the main question. Listen, I have struggled with this baby. You wouldn't even believe. And okay, when you're not on a label, because we were dropped by Epic in 2001, Mm -hmm. you have to finance everything. And because I'm the sole business owner, (laughs) I have to finance everything. And I ain't no Gwen Stefani friend. Like, (laughs) I'm lucky that I can string together some months in which I can be productive and be happy and work. You know, I just went through like a major lull in which I had to change all my meds and like life just became very difficult. A lot of changes when I moved back from England, you know, and also when I was in England, I got really depressed over COVID. And so life stops for me and I don't want it to. That's sort of, compounds the depression you know when i'm not able to work it's like oh my god why can't i yeah. why don't i have any energy today so i'm just sort of getting back on the horse again i'm feeling good i'm eating better i'm working <laughs> out and i have booked a show november 18th headlining the anaheim house of blues and you yeah. better be there. i mean i will a million percent be there you know when i got to see you literally like what like six seven feet away from me singing with the piano you know what i mean there was a small part of me where i had to pinch myself but i did i wanted to yell out the world is new the world is new (laughs) you know i wanted to get the whole crowd going but your voice is beautiful my my wife you know never got a chance to hear the slow songs and you're a great singer 
You kick some ass, dude. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about my favorite songs to do, it's like we do this thing where it's uh, let me in into lies. And it it just allows me to, I get to be a little bit self-indulgent. And, (laughs) you know, because I liken it to being a runner. What I've heard from people who run, because I only run if something's chasing me and it has to be a zombie, otherwise I'm out. (laughs) But you hit this spot in which everything feels right. And that's what I liken to when I get to sing and show my chops a little bit. It's not just about showing off. It actually feels really good. You know, it feels good. It's a good kind of drug. (laughs) <laughs> and it is it's not like an endorphiny drug either yeah. it's like a universal loving presence kind of drug i i don't know how else to no no it's well wordsmith on that yeah. um i want to make sure i mentioned pelican cove and i wanted to ask you this because that's sure. the opportunity how i got to meet you you know it's for those who don't know what it is it's a charity event it's an organization and they really are, are centered on mental health for people who don't have the means the finances to get it so you know i didn't even know anything about depression immune and I'm so happy you shared that because I didn't know so is this one of your passions you know yes it's a passion and that night like I was literally on a train on my way back to LA from San Diego when my best girlfriend texted me and said oh my god I forgot to remind you the Pelican Cove fundraiser is tonight and I was like Oh my God, (laughs) what time? And then she told me, I was like, I have to be there. And she goes, I know you have to be there. (laughs) Okay. I didn't have time to really put on my eyelashes and all that, you know? Or the red hair or the red hair. Or the red, well, (laughs) that only comes out for main (laughs) Yeah, literally she like picked me up at the three train stations down from right after she texted me. And she picked me up, we ran to the house. I tried to figure out something to wear and then ran over there because I just wanted to be a part of it. Like the plan was not that I was going to sing. There was no plan for that whatsoever. I just wanted to be there to support my friends and also this cause that I've only learned about since they started planning this fundraiser and my best friend Piper Ferguson is very good friends with the woman who was uh, hosting the fundraiser. So when she first told me about it, she was like, you need to look this up and Google it. This is something that could potentially change everything for people like us, for people like you, Monique, because so many musicians, we don't can't afford health insurance. I grew up not being able to afford health insurance and not being able to get the care that I so desperately needed. And I'm one of the lucky ones because I get to live to tell the story. So many of us don't. No, you're right. And I'm tired of seeing my friends die. I'm tired of seeing my friends die of addiction and depression and because of stigmas, because of lack of funds, because of lack of funding, because of lack of health insurance. I'm tired of it. And so I don't want to see another one of my friends die or my peers enough. So when they asked me to sing at this fundraiser, I was like, 
all right, let's make it a fundraising effort. And we raised all this money. Are you sure it wasn't you that donated all the money? Well, as soon as my wife was next to me, I'm like, open up that phone because we had to Venmo something in there. But I'm not joking. Everyone who's listening today, what, in a matter of, what, 10 minutes? We're talking thousands of dollars. I had the chills just thinking about it. It was awesome. Probably one of the greatest moments ever in my life because- You know, that was people like saying, I care, not just about you, Monique. No, no, I care about people I I don't even know. Like, I care about them. Yeah. Getting what they need to be able to to live and thrive. For me, you know, there were times I just wanted to want to live. Thriving wasn't even on the table. And so the fact that there were people there who were like, not only do I want people who suffer to live, but I want them to thrive. It was just like, I will sing whatever you want. What do you want me to sing? The world is new. I'll do it. <laughs> but I didn't. I did come on Eileen because no one requested it. <laughs> but a version of it that was so awesome. And then to be in the room and you kind of threw the chorus our way. Everyone knows the chorus. And I just kind of looked around. I'm like, this is nutty, cool, awesome, teary moment. I loved it. And to have Langdon on piano it was yeah. Landon's idea for it to be this like inside the house not on the stage on the grand piano yeah with everybody sort of huddled around yeah. send you some video piper took it's really cool no do it do it i just want to make sure i wanted to ask this to you which is there are a lot of people out there that want to be in a band they want to be the next monique pal i mean people at this event there were 13 year old singing. So yeah. <laughs> my, my question to you is, do you have any words of, of wisdom for people who aspire to be like you? Uh, okay. You got to get some grit. And this is because I never had it. And that's why I'm saying the way I think a person gets grit is not through struggle. It's through who you surround yourself with. And truly, if you do not have a strong foundation of people who will tell you the truth, who love you unconditionally, and you know that, if you do not have that, and I'm not talking 50, I'm talking like three or four, because I I mean, honestly, that's all you need. One or two, three or four. If you don't have that, you need to get that first. Okay. It makes all the difference. It is the difference between living and thriving. Because you can sell all the records there are and, you know, still be a Kurt Cobain. At that point, if you're gone, how can you say that I made a difference? You're, you're gone. You made a difference when you were alive to all of us. But like, we can't tell you that anymore. You know, I came into the industry and I had my own issues. I didn't have a vocabulary to describe how I was feeling and I didn't know how to ask for help when I needed it. So things became very difficult for me at times. So yes, so that's it. And also get lessons, do what you can get in, you know, really get into school music and school choir and start your own projects and be creative and don't be afraid to be you because that's also very important. I think there's so many like manufactured artists out there where I just look at it and I'm like, that's not who you really are. I want to see you, all of it, warts and all. 
<laughs> I want you to be you. You're beautiful just as you are. So, and there's something for everybody in this industry, you know, anybody who loves it enough and is willing to work hard enough can make it. And I truly believe that people are like, not anybody, not just anybody can be a singer. And I was like, honey, <laughs> you want it bad enough? I promise you. Yes, you can. Well said. And I'm going to like just make sure I get it one more time because your concert's coming out. Can you just mention where it is one more time? And if there are people that are going to be wanting to follow you, do you have a website or uh, some kind of Instagram thing you want to mention? Hit me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I kind of removed myself from social media a couple years ago. We're going to be doing some ads and announcements on Safer's Instagram, Facebook, all that. But I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't good for my mental health. So I had to step back for a little while. Anyway, it doesn't matter <laughs> because Dave Ferris is playing at Anaheim House of Blues. We're headlining November 18th, which is a Friday. And you're the first one to hear about this, but I'm going to do a meet and greet too. Oh, selling tickets for a meet and greet, baby. We'll hang out a little bit before the show. We'll do a little Q and A. We'll you'll get a free poster, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, and then you get like first entry, so you get to be at the front. But I I believe we're only going to do twenty five tickets for the meet and greet. Okay, so, so we're going to put that on the podcast show notes. This podcast will definitely come out before the show, so get you. We can pack that house even more. That's going to be packed, anyways. And I just want to take this time to say, Monique, you are super duper awesome. And I'm really happy you're healthy. You're still singing. It was such a treat to meet you. And thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. What an honor. (laughs) I had a great time with you today. Thank you. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning into the Dr. Raj podcast. I hope you learned a lot about ska music today and just, you know, hearing great stories. And this is why we had Monique on the podcast because she's just an amazing person. Stay tuned again for a podcast coming every two weeks. See everyone later. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.